Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Dan Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by Katie Galletti of Janice Concert Series. Hello. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. I got a cat in my lap. I have coffee in my hand. <laughs> this is peak. This is great. Welcome to just like a little snapshot of our lives. Yeah. <laughs> this is good life, guys. I, you're cat, doing it right. Cat in proximity. Coffee nearby. In hand. I, yeah. I do need to stress, though, that like... I feel like at this point, Moody has been in so many laps as soon as people get here that, like, I think that Moody's a great cat. She's not that great. Like, I just want to say, like, she's she she specifically knows she's she just kind of gave me an eye branding. Like, okay, she just kind of gave me an eye like, don't give up my secrets. But she kind of like specifically is a lap cat when there's a guest here. Like, I think she must... Maybe deep down she knows that, like, her reputation is at stake with the podcast. Yes. She's your marketing expert? I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> she is. Maybe, like, Making we sure really should time. listen to Moody Morris. Is Company like, manager. She's a, she's an account manager. Yeah. She she makes sure that each individual person is well taken mm-hmm. care of. Whereas yes. we're, we're more broad strokes. Yeah. 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 Everybody has a job. Yeah. Mm. Should we do um, Daniel's Weather Corner from two days ago? Sure. Just because you haven't been outside yet today. Well, I can actually. So I have the window open. You were open. briefly. I was briefly, and I have the window open. Oh. I, as a person that dwells inside, I've I've prioritized like. As a person that dwells inside. I have prioritized opportunities to experience outside in my life. I just, I just really like that. As a person who dwells inside. <laughs> it's a very classy way to describe yeah. that. It's yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it's been really cold. And I like it's been shockingly so. We were just talking about how like the change of seasons has been weird. <laughs> and I feel like for me, it mostly like I feel like I've said to, like a few people have said to me, like, it just came on so fast. <laughs> all of a sudden, it's like the summer's been robbed from me. Well, for the people that dwell outside, that's yeah. a very, very quick transition. Yeah, I think I don't know. I'm also an inside dweller. What do I say? I, well, I think I think inside dwellers are also affected by it, like, but then they're just like, why am I in such a weird mood? Like, why am I craving carving a pumpkin? What's going well, on? As a fellow inside dweller, the main difference. The main, like, change that I've made is that I don't sleep with one blanket. I sleep with two blankets yeah. now. Mm-hmm. I've, like, I've, ad- I've, I've transformed my sleeping arrangement into a winter sleeping arrangement, mm-hmm. which is so much cozier. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. Oh, great fleece. I'm a fleece person. So what I do mm-hmm. is I take a, a, a quilt and then I put a fleece yes. over it. Yes. I'm yeah. here for it. Yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah. It's pretty mm-hmm. great. Well, so... We're here partially to talk about the weather, which we did in spades, but we're also here to talk about Jan's concert series. We are. Yeah. So would you mind telling us a little bit about the origins of Janice? Yeah. So um, Janice concert series started, as a lot of these things do, um, I was asked by a conductor friend, like, hey, do you want to help me put together a concert of musical theater stuff with, you know, classical singers and a lot of other things and I was like yeah I mean I can like do some scheduling or something <laughs> like mm-hmm. I thought like very like minimal um and then you know as it always does I ended up doing a lot more <laughs> and <laughs> organizing people and really um putting together a show and it I actually loved it crazy enough and um we had a lot of really great people and ended up with this cast of wonderful singers, wonderful actors, people I hadn't met before. Um, shout out to Sarah Saperstein, who brought in a lot of musical theater folks to that. Um, and it was really pretty successful, hilariously. I mean, we did like a concert of a bunch of different songs from like Phantom, lol, um, Les Mis, and Into the Woods. And people were into it. <laughs> like, And we got done and we actually had a lot of donations. And then people kept saying like, hey, when are we doing this? What's happening next? And I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. So um, I kind of took a minute and said, yeah, I really like theater administration and kind of took a journey in figuring out how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then started Janice Concert Series with a few people that were in that production that were invested and enjoyed it and created something that is similar, but also has a bit wider scope and mission statement. Um So what we wanted to do first was bring some of this musical theater classical repertoire um, 
into the 21st century and give singers that don't generally get an opportunity to do that repertoire Mm -hmm. the chance to try something new. Um, And part of that and a big part of how that developed too was really challenging a lot of those traditions that come with classical music theater and honestly that come with opera. Mm -hmm. Um, We noticed that there is just a chasm between opera and musical theater and honestly between a lot of music theater in general and theater straight theater mm-hmm. and that was just insane to me <laughs> like it's yeah isn't it just absolutely strange and i was like there's has to be a way to put these things together because honestly i think that there's a lot of things that theater is doing right that classical music and opera can learn from mm-hmm. absolutely and i you know i'm really glad you said that because that was basically going to be my first question because that to me seems like where the space is headed you know i feel like every single opera strict opera company is like oh yeah we'll throw jesus christ superstar on the end of it and like oh okay that's Mm -hmm. cool like but i I, i'm it's fascinating like how um how much there's clearly an audience for it um but it's it's navigating this exactly like you said this chasm between the two spaces Mm -hmm. and make no mistake i am the first person to want to deny it but opera's audiences are dwindling Mm -hmm. and whether that because most of them are dying or because there isn't an interest because that is a problem Mm -hmm. and it's i think there's a million things you can say to that it's a representative problem it's a relatability problem but also like tell me why there's not anything between storefront opera and the lyric Mm -hmm. besides maybe cot but i would put cot up, up towards the lyric scope and then, and then what? And then you look at theater companies, and you have storefront theater companies, you have mid-sized theater companies, you have large equity houses, and then equity houses that are also big but are also doing new works. Like you have so many things that are better respected, better attended. And yeah. what are we doing? Like, yeah. what is music theater and opera doing? Well, and then even down, like further down on the spectrum, like you know, there's there's this rich, rich. Um, environment of DIY, highly experimental theater going on. And Mm -hmm. so, like, it's the theater community in Chicago has such a wide spectrum, like, from, you know, really dingy, thought-provoking, fascinating, horribly boring house shows (laughs) to, to, you know, high-quality, you know, Broadway in Chicago, mm-hmm. like it, it, and everything in between, and yeah, we're just lacking that in, in in Chicago opera. Yeah, I felt like that too, and that was part of the reason that Janice came about and kind of looking to see what we could do to bridge that gap, yeah. and then also address some issues with representation and with doing this music that we do love. Like, I love Rodgers and Hammerstein, guys. Like the orchestration is stunning, but also some of it's problematic, and mm-hmm. like how we can make that something that we want to see something that is new and different and challenges some of the traditions that really don't need to be there Mm -hmm. um and part of the reason we named it janice um is janice after the roman god um of two faces and also of crossroads and of looking forward and looking backwards and that really to us um said everything we wanted to say about taking those two worlds and putting them together and having those traditionally two opposite faces and making that one thing. Yeah. Um, and also I was reading a lot of Percy Jackson at the time. So <laughs> put that in there too. But, <laughs> um, but still like that was part of why we wanted to do that. Um, and now it's become a thing, which is crazy to me because this was kind of a, Hey, could we do this? Could we try and do something that also, the thing I did not want to do, I didn't want to start a company that I started a company so that I could sing in it. You know, I sure. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to have a vanity company. I didn't want to have something that it was like, I did this because I want to sing this repertoire, which I do. Everybody does. But also, like, I, my main focus and my team's main focus is finding how we can give opportunities to singers, mm-hmm. namely paid opportunities, even if it doesn't pay much. Um, and also the opportunity for growth, for growth for our art form, growth for these singers, and to see what we can do with it. Because it's it's not about me. It's about the art. It's about what we can do with that art to have an effect on society. I find that 
so I think that like that thought I hadn't thought about like the concept of because I would say like four years ago I was pretty much the person that was like oh that's clearly a vanity company like like <laughs> fuck that on site totally like, get that yep <laughs> and, but, like now that I'm kind of thinking about it I realize now that like the root of that is more so seeing companies that don't have a very clear and activated mission that's fair and yeah. I and that to me like where at this point now I, if I because there are definitely companies that are still out there that that I think some people may classify as a as a vanity company, but I also think that like they have very specific. Well, and there 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 are not examples of this, but there are I think some that are examples of someone that has a very clear mission. Because the time that we're in now, like like theater that's being made by yourself can have that that activity of of making a. A significant change in the in the like in the discourse and the discussion and the programming and stuff. Yeah. Oscar, so anyway, so <laughs> I'm trying I'm, I'm trying and failing to make him a, a normal cat right now. Yeah, and everything I'm doing is just blowing up in my face. It's he like, will never be normal. No, it's none like, of us will. I feel I so deeply relate with like Wiley Coyote right now, and Oscar <laughs> is my roadrunner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. Um, so this is that, Moody's goal. He's like, I, I'm better than Oscar. Yeah. Moody, I have, I'm doing Moody is this. the Acme Anvil. Yes. Like she's just like she's just like nonpartisan. She's just in it. She's but doing not her job it. like a good cat. Um, <laughs> That's great. But so anyway, so I think the thing that is potentially that is kind of fascinating is this like a mission statement like Janice's may be seen to by you know I don't know someone as being like critical. But I also find it very, po- I personally find it very positive and uplifting and like taking a really, and I think that part of that is what it seems like to me is your link in both classical music and musical theater. Like I think that when you're a bridge for that, there has to be like significant hooks in. Absolutely. And that's, that. so what I'm curious for you is do you, like what are those hooks specifically? Um, specifically, I think on the classical music and opera side, um, obviously that's what all my training is in. Um, and I, I'm a very music first kind of person. <laughs> like part of what draws me to a lot of this repertoire is just like we talked about the stunning orchestration, like the, the beauty in the way that these things are composed and how they tell these stories through that music. And I mean, opera does that so beautifully like if you mm-hmm. look at the way that mozart wrote duets if you look at how he characterized people through their melodic lines like it's stunning it's stunning mm-hmm. and that to me is a thrilling part of that music and why it's important um i think however <laughs> that to say that you have an entire art form based entirely on how perfect someone sounds mm-hmm. is flawed <laughs> i think it's flawed and it's flawed because then what so they sound perfect, then what? They sound perfect in another language, in an orchestration that we're not taught to understand anymore. And you could, of course, I think a lot of problems that people cite with any theater music art is a problem with art and how it is viewed in society as a whole. So like, that's its own thing. But also I, what I value about that so much, I think has a bigger place or honestly can't be the only thing that we value um which is why i have that link to musical theater and to theater itself because i want to hear the story i want to hear what you have to say and i want you to tell it to me honestly and real and i i want the norms and what we see and who we see on stage to be everybody that i see every day it's one of the things that i cite that i think is hard when you an older generation that has problems coming to this, you know, type and can be kind of racist, mm-hmm. etc. and phobic is that I mean for a lot of them they've set up a life where they live in the same place, they go to the same places every day, mm-hmm. see the same people every day. Mm-hmm. And no one and nothing has asked them to look at anything different. Mm-hmm. No one has given them and nor have they sought out any reality besides that. And when we are just now realizing that there are so many other perspectives and so many other realities out there, all of us, of course, in the theater are saying, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, we kind of already knew this was here. Like, this is a part of our everyday norm. And it's not for a lot of people. And whether that's their fault or not, we don't need to say. But it's something that is important. And unless we can see that on a stage, unless we're showing that to people actively and helping represent those norms, how is anybody going to know that? What I... So... 
um, what I'm really appreciating about your casting is in speaking about um, kind of like bucking bucking norms and identifying different experiences is the gen- was the gender blind aspect of it. For instance, the um, inspired and brilliant casting of Joshua Lewis Smith as Adelaide. Uh, it was my <laughs> dream to do it, and he is brilliant. I'm sure. Oh, oh. Um, and what I what I especially appreciate about that is like. There's like gen- there I think that there are two kinds of gender blind casting. I think that there's gender blind casting for the sake of being edgy. Mm-hmm. And then I think which I've been in a production of that. I was in a product with actually actually with Joshua with Josh Smith uh, in Pittsburgh. I was in a gender swapped production of Damn Yankees. Oh. Oh, I think he told me about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where mm-hmm. I yeah. <laughs> Which, of course, Josh was brilliant in it, because mm-hmm. he was sister. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's also just a brilliant performer. Yeah, like, exactly. He really is. But, uh, so, anyway, so I think that there's gender swapping just to kind of see what happens, and then I think that there's intentional talent-based gender swapping. Yeah. And something that we talked about a lot in that with our board <laughs> was that we don't want it to be shock value. We don't want it to be that oh, look, like, it's crazy that there's a gay couple on stage. Like, and we also didn't want to be making fun of that in some way. Like, oh, it's funny because he's acting like a girl. Like, that's not the point. That's not the point we want to make. We want it to be, this is a this is a gay couple. Adelaide is a performer, whether he's, let's say he's a drag performer, or let's say he is just a performer in cabaret. And he has that personality and Nathan has his personality and it should make no difference what that orientation or gender is. And that was kind of the story we wanted to tell that this was a norm. Not that it was funny because they were gay or not because it was strange or shocking, but because this is pretty normal in theater. And like, it's pretty normal that a performing couple would be homosexual. Like that's, that's pretty average. Well, and I, so I, I want to speak to something else that you were saying before. Cause like, I do think that in so many ways, um, the writing of of these opera audiences are dwindling has been on the wall. Like that mm-hmm. writing has been on the wall. Um, and I, I uh, but I also think like because I'm a big person that believes that I'm a big person. The thing I believe is that <laughs> I'm a uh, big person. Yeah. Yes, an inside dweller that believes. <laughs> I really believe that opera will never die like yeah. the audience like a, an opera house might like <laughs> like an opera house might not be able to run its business in a way that it can stay open but <laughs> I, I don't believe that the idea that we are going to continue looking back at opera will ever die I just think that we're at the point where we've so I mean don't get me wrong like we could still burn the entire tomb of, of human history but like that that's a bigger issue like, yeah, like, yeah. that's that's another level like if that doesn't happen, I don't think we'll ever stop looking back at opera. Mm-hmm. And so if, if we kind of like go from there with it, right. And we then go like, well then yeah, opera audiences are dwindling. I think that a lot of people who studied it, who have even people who had been working like throughout the last few decades saw that. Mm-hmm. We're like, why is that? And, and I think that there has been a lot of work being done on the outside to to make projects that can affect change but i think that like those the mainstream producers have been so blind to that writing on the wall that it's it's there's but what i'm finding now and i feel like because I, I feel like i've talked more and more to people that are working in administrative spaces is that there is a push for well, you know, and, and it's it's frustrating that the conversation is always so simplified as like, well, we need to get millennials in the door. You know, and if that's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, this is yeah. a this is a complicated conversation. And if you are thinking is that you just throw a, a beer night, like that's gonna solve it. Like it's it's not. Like and, and don't get me wrong, like that stuff is really cool, obviously. Well, and like, also whenever people are like, We wanna get millennials in the door, the subtext there is we wanna get white millennials in the door. Also that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also they want you to be on a board that you pay dues to. And I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but what millennial that's interested in art has extra <laughs> extra right. cash to throw around for that? Like And that's the and then it's that's the thing for me is like then we don't um we aren't building in the arts. We aren't like working in the way that we are to cater towards those those tastes. We're not building business market models that like, and not to you know I'm a big old socialist at this point, but I also believe in participating in the economy. I think yeah. that like we the the reality is like 
if you to advocate for change, you have to understand how it works, like how the system yeah. works. And anyway, I'm, I don't know why I'm going off on this. Well, that's I'm, a good I'm point, though. Yes, as you should be. <laughs> but like, that's a good point that directs us to that idea of the value of art in society. Yeah. And what that value is, particularly in the American society. And like, when we don't have publicly or government funded art, which a lot of people don't think we should have anything government funded. But when we don't have that, then we do have a business model for a lot of these large houses that is create a product that works mm-hmm. with a formula that works. You yes. can you can point to big spectacle Broadway shows that are touring that does that exact same thing and say, and I ask often like, cool, that was cool. But then also, I don't know what I got out of that. I don't know if that's something that I do want to see regularly. I say the same thing about large spectacle operas and opera houses. Like we're doing repertoire that they know works. <laughs> like, and then you have people leaving the house being like, well, that's not the Carmen that I fell in love with. And it's like, which I did here at an opera once. Yeah. And I was just Bums like, but out. so what? <laughs> like, yeah. And I, I know that it is human nature to, to grab onto what you love, but that's also not the nature of art unless you want to have a museum. And if opera continues in that, way in putting up authentic perfect real versions of these things that we love then it will become a museum and as we have learned from um the metropolitan museum in new york going to not being free anymore to having you know people who are not within a certain radius pay for tickets um then we have we know that that's also not doing great (laughs) like Mm -hmm. and again we do have to value like how we're teaching art and like are we giving our kids proper arts education and we're making that appreciation a priority in our society and i think no but also that's what we have to live in like that's that is our challenge like that is what we are dealing with as artists and that was part of what drove me to create a company (laughs) still funny to me to say that, that i did that um was because i was having trouble feeling like I could make a difference as a performer. It's really hard to say that, hey, um, can you hire me for this role? Also, I want to, I want to change your whole system. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. And not to say that I don't want to sing or that I think that everything is wrong, but also like, I it's hard to say, please pay me to do the job that you have available while I try and change all of it. And that is really difficult. Well, and it's also really valuable. Like, let's say that you are put in a position where you are hired to sing and and some company manager is like, what do you think? <laughs> it's hard. It, it It's hard to, like, be able to give bullet points of what you want changed when you don't know what goes into the mm-hmm. making of it. Like, I... um. I was having a discussion recently where I was I was talking with one of my coworkers about a show that had come under some criticism. And I was I was asking their opinion and I was like, you know, as far as like it being problematic, like you know, like what would you give like it's like this is okay score? And they were like, I'd give it like a 92% and I was blown over because <laughs> 92% like as a person who produces events, like mm-hmm. A 92% positive rating is incredible. Huge. It's, it is huge. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that only 8% of it was like, eh. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, having the know-how and having the knowledge of being like, oh, my God. Like, I can understand how, you know, s- someone's humanity might be discounted in yeah. this just because... It was it was the tenth thing on my list of things that I needed to get done. And that, I tell that to people and every singer, and that if there's anything that you can do to make yourself a better performer, it is to get behind a casting table. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. It is to do anything arts admin related because there are, as you said, you know, a ten things at minimum that you need to consider when you're casting, mm-hmm. when you're putting up a show, when you're scheduling anything that has absolutely nothing to do with how that person performed in that audition. Oh, for sure. And yeah. and that's a sad reality, but also it's the same thing as the business reality that we talked about. Like, for this Janice season, we saw so many unbelievably talented people. Unbelievably talented. And I was in a casting session, and I was just like, I want to hire every one of them. Like, if I had the budget to do something with every single one of these people, I would do that right now. Or if I had the capacity to have every single one of these people sing everything, I absolutely would. But it's not the reality. And also, there's something to be said for telling a story and seeing who would, and the kind of story that we wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. 
And that's one of the main things about being a performer that nobody tells you. Be on the admin side. See what the admin side does. That is mm-hmm. a viable, not only career path, but it is also will make you a much better performer. Well, this is also a really good set. Did you, sorry, did you have something specific? Yeah. Yeah. So um, you mentioned before we started that one of the things that was important to you was having mostly women in charge. You read my mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, so who is, like, who makes up Janice? Um, we have... Not all women, surprisingly. Um, it is me in charge. Um, uh, Anna Caldwell is doing our marketing for us. Um, Sarah Draffin is doing a lot of our administrative support. Um, and then Steve Hobie is our technical producer and director. Steve Hobie's great. He delight. is a delight. <laughs> delight. And one of the things that I also make a priority just being around people, <laughs> like obviously, which is why it's so cool to be able to do this with you guys, is just people that are supportive of other people and that sounds mm-hmm. really silly but it's weirdly <laughs> it's rare so, it is yeah. so weird and like that and i know that that's hard as artists like it's hard to not take everything as a reflection of you mm-hmm. and i feel like the main thing i've been telling people like my phrase for the last year is like 90 percent of what people say and do is a reflection of them and not of you yeah. and like it's so hard to switch that and then be like well, shit, how am I supposed to be, like, how am I making these people feel yes. then? Mm-hmm. And that's something that I really like in being in charge, more or less, is that, like, I get to do that. I get to support these people. Mm-hmm. If someone's feeling, like, anxious or, like, I don't know if I can do this or I feel like this and this and this happening, I can be like, okay, great. How do I solve that for you? Yeah. How do I make it possible for you to make this art happen? And that's really honestly rewarding and and to have these women doing these things that are great like really truly great and to be able to be here for that and say hey you should do this all the time like and i can help you do that all the time and to make that valid i so because the thing that i'm gonna i'm gonna jump back on one of my scopy for 2018 undercurrents <laughs> is the idea of praxis and I'm, yeah. it's the it's the word of the month i guess um and it's this idea of how like you can have every ideological intention in the world, but like if you're not looking back at what you're doing and, and, and actually criticizing it and making changes to manifest your, your ideology, that is that is like the essence of, of I, I feel where a lot of um, progressive politics can fall short is that, you know, you can performatively be like, this is what I believe. But if you're not, and what I find, like what I think the reason why I'm bringing it up now is I'm, like this isn't a good example of praxis because what y'all have is because i don't think that and and you know white dude here um i'm not like trying to be the official on feminism or anything like that but what i think that y'all have is like from my understanding is that not all like feminist spaces need to be exclusive to men there can be there absolutely should be safe spaces that do but um but i also think that what the distinction is and and why I'm bringing up the idea of praxis is that you have specifically designated that it's women-led yeah. and that the administration is women-led. And I think that's a really important distinction. Um, and yeah. I'm curious for you kind of like what that has, uh, you know, how, and I think this that part of like le- leading into this conversation, this question, this is the reason why I brought it up is because it seems like that's kind of the space that it's in is, is finding those differences. But I'm kind of curious, like ultimately what has been kind of your, like your guidepost of figuring out what it means to be a women led organization in 2018. Yeah. It's really hard for the record. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody, nobody says, I keep saying that nobody says, because when people are talking about like, you can do this and you can do that. It's just like, nobody says that it's difficult or why it's difficult. Like, Mm -hmm. Filling out nonprofit paperwork is a nightmare, guys. Like, that is super difficult. And having to ask for help for things that you don't know anything about. And, like, trusting people and mainly trusting yourself. And I don't know that this is this is likely not just a feminine experience, though I know it is a widely feminine experience, is to have that imposter syndrome. To feel like, I don't know that I know how to do this. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And, like... That's a real thing. And it's a crippling thing in yeah. a lot of perspectives. And and honestly, like I have people are in charge, like Ross Matsuda and Matt Edmonds are directing and music directing. Um, and 
again, they're not women, but what I so appreciate about them and why I hired them was because they are respectful and they are someone that is invested in that respectful experience. And they were people that honestly made me and my team feel like you can do this. We're here to help you do this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big part of it. I think it's a big part of having people around you that say that make you feel capable. Yeah. No, like as a fellow female yes. business owner, like <laughs> yes. the imposter syndrome is real. Um, the hesitance to ask for help is real. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently went to like a business mentorship session and um, I learned about this mentorship program back in February and just went to my first session a month ago because yeah. I was like very much kicking and screaming went into it and it ended up being kind of shitty. But yeah, I was going to, we should talk about that. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, it, it was not worth my time, but, <laughs> Fair. but like, you know, putting yourself in the position of like, kind of um, moving past the excitement of I'm a woman and I run a business and I'm going to do it all on my own and then realizing I know maybe 60% of what I need to know (laughs) and now I need to ask for help from men. But 60% is also something. Oh, no, for sure. That I I think that's a fascinating balance. I'm so sorry to interrupt like that because like that was great. I just, (laughs) but I, I, I find that that is an interesting thing because that I think, because I do think the imposter syndrome thing while it is skewed towards women, is a thing, and I, don't, I do not mean to be like, not all mensing this kind of rhetoric right now. Move past it. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say Keep is that, going. <laughs> what I will say is that like, the idea of, of being afraid of artistic license is a universal yeah. fear. And I, and I think that it's fascinating, you know, like we're living in a world where um, it is so difficult to get a job out mm-hmm. of, of you know having degrees like people with multiple degrees yeah. that it's you you take for granted what you're what like you start at zero when you should be starting at sixty percent that true. I find really fascinating. That's true. And one other critique of opera, I just I will try and make this my last one, is that it is a. <laughs> I mean, go in, like, like, <laughs> go guys. In, fam. It's a we system hear, yeah. that like. Pers- like specifically tells you you have to do it a certain way or you're wrong mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like how is that artistic mm-hmm. or like you get here is your 10% margin where you get to make your artistic choice mm-hmm. yeah. and then the people that do really well and should do really well are the ones that are making bold choices that are being rewarded for those bold choices mm-hmm. and that is the type of art that is is successful is what people are looking to even if it's not always successful even if it's not always like done well we are looking to that to say great what how do we fix that and like the thing i think i say to most young singers is and part of our mission statement is take artistic ownership of what you do Mm -hmm. take it and make it your own and make it something that you can be proud of and that you are saying something with because i will guarantee you that will be more compelling than if you reiterate what somebody told you well, and what's what's rare, I think, and it's becoming less rare, but it's it's still definitely, you know, significant to point out, is when there are spaces created where these artists can make those decisions, mm-hmm. where, like, you know, being in a setting where if they make a bold choice, the director doesn't go, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what Mozart intended. Yeah. Or, ooh, well, the high note wasn't perfect when you did that, so never do that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Where, like... I don't know. I like I'm all about like I I I think that artists identifying their their voice and their and their perspective and like acting on what they think is true is like so important. But I think equally important is like making sure that the space is there because like it's a vulnerable thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a vulnerable thing being like I know that this is what Mozart says. But I've thought about this character and I've thought about how it relates to my experience. And so this is what I'm going to do instead. And having the bravery to do that and then being shot down is a horrible thing. Particularly in a society where traditionally women have been shot down for being too much, for being out of the box, Mm -hmm. for being anything other than what is prescribed. Yes. And to create something artistically then. And then on top of it, to be harassed in any way in that vulnerable space. Mm-hmm. For these women that are Me Too, particularly in the artist field, like that 
in any field that's horrible and scary in the field that we're in when you are expected to be beautiful and sexy on stage and then you have men harassing you or women honestly and making you feel uncomfortable in your body in that vulnerable space mm-hmm. it's terrifying oh yeah it undermines the art it undermines how you feel about yourself in that space and it's part of what makes it so horrible well and like mm. there's a um we recently just did a, a multi-part series um an article series about intimacy direction oh yeah and like i learning about that and like reading about that um has made it so clear has like just pushed the importance of that kind of expertise so so much into view for me because like yeah there have been so many times where like you know actors are put into these like intimate intimate moments on stage and you know so many people bring baggage to those situations and to have somebody there to be like okay this like you're Susie you're Jeff but in this moment um you know Martin and Rose are kissing yeah and then once it's done and once we say stop you're Susie and Jeff again mm-hmm. and just to have that delineation is so important and to have the support from your administration yeah like something that I'm still learning I'm still learning a lot of things guys yeah. <laughs> but um that is so important for arts administration what I think a lot of theater companies are really invested in doing is that support of your artists in providing that kind of um, direction, intimacy direction, fight choreography, same thing. Um, making your actors and singers feel safe to do the art that they need to do is equally important as doing that art or creating good things. And that's the same thing with representative casting and something that obviously we can all do better on and I'm learning how to do better on. But like having people on stage that represent your audience, having couples on stage that represent your audience and having them feel good in those spaces and that goes for your audience having your audience feel good being there and that's not saying you're not going to do tragic work or hard work it just means that they're in a space where they're not being affronted in their identity with what they're seeing every day mm-hmm. which is it's hard like it is it is a hard thing to do and like Arts administration and art producers have a long way to go, and it mm-hmm. is the challenging topic right now. Well, and you know, <clears throat> going back to the to your decision to make Adelaide and Nathan a gay couple, like it that just goes back to the importance of representation because, like, you know, how many um, how many productions of Guys and Dolls have there been where there's been like a little gay boy in the audience mm-hmm. where he's like where it's like yeah like this is so cute but like i don't see myself up there and mm-hmm. like guys and dolls is a kid-friendly show like this seems to me like this concert is probably a kid-friendly event mm-hmm. and so or am i mis- no you're oh, right yeah. you're right and so like the importance like so to have like a not mocked gay couple on stage like is so because ref- I was I was talking to I was talking to Josh about this at some point where he was saying that like he's only played straight characters really yeah he's only played straight characters and so huh. he he like whenever he sees an audition notice for a gay character no matter no matter where it is or what it is he submits for it because he's like i want to live my experience on stage yeah and that's something that has never even occurred to me that to me is just just the value of like actually looking at praxis because Mm -hmm. like you can ask anybody like Art, the arts has been viewed as this liberal haven for so long like oh it's the most progressive space like you know like that's but 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 there are a lot of people that live that experience and like in a lot of ways like it's there's a lot of of um of stuff that it's starting to become behind on mm-hmm. you know like fucking the cpd has like rainbow cars every june but like pride started as a riot yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and- and it's yeah. hard too when it's I mean that is not my experience. I am a cis white woman and like that is a, an experience again that does has not had to deal with 90% of that oppression. Right. And it's also what I think is so much more important about stepping back and letting giving an opportunity like it's to have to be somebody that's creating those spaces 
I think is important and we need more people that are creating those spaces. And like um, Claire DeVizio as Sky Masterson, I mean, everybody in this show is really brilliant, but like one of the coolest things for me is that we're doing um, a bunch of songs from multiple shows. It's kind of, it's more or less like a lecture recital because we have like narration talking about what's what and that kind of thing. And to be able to see like She Loves Me is pretty heteronormative. Everything turns out pretty well. Mm -hmm. And then to have Guys and Dolls, which is completely gender fucked. And it's all like different types of couples, different things like Cat Doll in it as as Nice Nicely, (laughs) who's brilliant. (laughs) All these people are brilliant. And to see Sarah and Skye and like they're so sweet. They are so sweet and they have a great chemistry, which is a hilarious joke in the show, but like they do have a great chemistry on stage. And obviously Josh and Tom, who are brilliant mm-hmm. as Adelaide Nathan, and to see this in the middle be like surprising and fun and also beautiful and really sweet. And then we go into Carousel that is also normal and does not go well and is problematic in so many ways. And like to see these different relationships and these different views of things is a really cool experience and that and that makes my heart very happy to hear Josh say that that he gets to be a part of that and to have that experience lived on stage and it just makes me want to do more of that (laughs) I have a question so Carousel is a complicated piece of work because the music is so beautiful the music whenever I hear a song from Carousel I just want to curl up into a ball and die Mm -hmm. like it is so incredibly heart-wrenchingly beautiful Mm -hmm. but the story is rough rough I'm, I'm, how are you approaching that? And because we are just doing songs and things, we don't really have the show in our show. It's mm-hmm. more pieces. Okay. Um, so we are kind of giving the first half of that story in this concert. Um, and Ross is doing a really beautiful job with the narration to be like, and what, what we decided to end with, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> So everyone stop listening if you're going to watch it. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, we decided to end with that You'll Never Walk Alone. Mm-hmm. Um, Kat is singing n- the Nettie part in that. Um, and Sarah Draffin is doing the Julie Jordan. And like that entire cast kind of joining her on that and having it not really be about Billy at all. Having it end with this ensemble of people that are all here singing this all together with Julie and for Julie. Like that was an important important perspective for us to end on for me. And Ross is kind of handling it and like we know that this journey, if you know the show, goes very differently for Billy and it doesn't end there. But we're gonna focus right now on Julie's story and how this goes for her right now. And I I liked that. For oh, doing a truncated version. Yeah. Well, and I think that's that's fascinating because of the the fact that like Janice is so mission driven. I I I think that what is cool is that treat getting to work in that treatment and wanting to tackle something so problematic, like is it's fascinating to me, um, and I think important, like building that room for experimentation. The fact that you're not tackling the entire thing, yeah. I think, is a is a is a distinction. Um, and I'm curious, is that like room for experimentation with like how to how best to tackle something like this? Is that intentional? Yeah, honestly, yeah. And um, especially this being kind of our inaugural production, mm-hmm. we were doing a lot of different songs and doing more of a recital format rather than a full show because we wanted to see what these singers and actors could do with this repertoire and kind of what it meant to do this repertoire at all so that we can look at doing full shows and we can look at different ways to do those full shows. Um, and yeah, that experimentation, honestly. And to to give people a second to look at what that means yeah. and what Julie means in this production. And again, Billy's important. Stuart's doing a beautiful job with it. Um, but Oh, Stuart. I know, I know, I know. It's beautiful, and that—that's—I'm blown away. She's a really good singer. Yeah, I'm blown away by the talent in this cast. And also, but just like, and you know, this is a weird thing to point out, maybe on air, but I also find those people are like the most willing to let women lead. Yeah, yeah. Is that a weird? Like, I no. Every time, as I hear all these names, I'm like, yeah, those are all like thoughtful people, like Mm -hmm. like people that are that are willing to listen, and that is. I, the reason why I, I think the reason why I think that's weird to say that out loud is because that's not a distinction frequently made. Yeah. But I'm also I'm also realizing that maybe that's the distinction that we should be thinking about. I'm not saying like. Well, actors supporting actors, absolutely. artists supporting other artists, and being there for the process, right. and like, I again, like it's hard not to feel like everything reflects upon you 
in your art when this is a community and moreover it's community that is trying to include a greater amount of people and outside of our art outside of the people that are ingrained in this and like that is equally important and if we can show that kind of kindness professionalism and function Mm -hmm. in who we are then we can really bring in other people that may not may not have art as a essential part of their life may not believe in music as something that they need every day but might actually benefit from some of the stories that we're telling and some of the talents that these people have Absolutely. And I, you know, I think it's fascinating because I think more and more we're having conversations about what does it mean that Chicago definitely has a community of grassroots singers, you know, Mm -hmm. and to an outsider that can look like friends hiring friends or something like that. But, but I do think it's more nuanced than that. And and I, I, I think that like that, what I think like the grassroots scene as a whole in Chicago starting to talk more across company lines let's say about what it means to be a collaborative space for like for change and for you know figuring out what it means to be a community that benefits each other i think Mm -hmm. that's that's beautiful and something that should be celebrated um it makes sense unique it makes sense to me like for an for an inaugural concert to like hold auditions but then also bear in mind like people who you trust because when you're trying when you're in your early stages you're still trying to you're still trying to to figure out what your voice is what your mission is and so Mm -hmm. if that gets muddied with dealing with people whose attitudes you have an issue with you're not focusing on cohesion you're focusing on dealing with that person one something that i really loved about running auditions was that i took i specifically took time to talk to every singer and to say, hey, this is a snapshot of what our mission is. How do you feel about that? What kind of input would you have as to workshops that we would do, et cetera? And like, that was really enlightening to be able to talk to all these people and be like, how invested they are in this type of mission and being a socially conscious singer versus being here because they want to sing and that's totally fine. But having that interaction and honestly breaking down some of those barriers between like casting table and singer is really important to me. But having that be part of it and and nepotism is part of the business and the reason for that is because of that exact reason is that you do audition a million people but if you know that you have a friend or someone you know that is talented and will do the part justice and you can trust that's a hard thing to pass up on when you when you have maybe fewer options Mm -hmm. and like if there is something to be said for people that are casting the same person that is not right for every role like yeah that's there's something to be said for that that's difficult but also when you have someone that you know that is good that is good for that role and that will tell that story with justice and with you know true perspective then great then do that but also i i again i'm not here for the vanity company i'm not here for the people that are singing roles you know they're not good for those roles because you You, know you don't want to scream into a microphone like me and my friends are gonna do this well watch Mm -hmm. but i also Mm -hmm. think i think the distinction i think the thing that i'm coming back to and something that i'm that is going to be a a thing that will be a theme at some point i'm sure is um the how best to do mission-driven work Mm -hmm. because if you if you came in here and said yeah I've, I uh, we brought in administratively and casted a bunch of people that I've never met before and we're gonna do a mission like we're gonna do a mission driven thing I mean that's probably not that's you're gonna that's gonna it's gonna be hard you've got a you've got it uphill against you but I think that like if you like if you if you're rooted in a community that has similar goals like that's how that's how you get shit done and yeah. I, I i think that's an, an well and every single one of the people that you've mentioned are people who are are people who like host dinner at their house yeah. you know or like you know claire devizio is like baking up a storm for Who's amazing yeah. Yeah. yeah and like there's it's all of the people you're mentioning are so community-minded mm-hmm. and on top of that are brilliant performers. or even new people that people i hadn't met before that ha- getting a chance to meet them in the audition and getting a chance to hear them and again we had so many brilliant people audition like mm-hmm. every one of those people deserved to be cast in something but 
some of these people too that I didn't know. And part of that is getting a percentage of new people in our productions and that are equally brilliant and are an equal asset to that community that just need to be introduced to a few more people. And the idea of community and the idea of building that community to be outside of artists as well and having people that are invested in doing that that is what makes this great that is what's gonna make this really awesome are there any new people that like you're excited to have every single one of them (laughs) (laughs) really when i when i say this cast is brilliant like this cast is brilliant like Mm -hmm. when you hear the luck be a lady ensemble and watch them with very again minimal concert type choreography it's thrilling guys Mm -hmm. like i sit in the back and i'm just like like, giggling (laughs) and it's great but like um and I'm sure it's just people that I hadn't met before. I mean, like Nikki, who is playing opposite Claire as Sarah Brown. Like I said, that chemistry is brilliant. They're so sweet and so good. And they're both such mindful performers that it's awesome. Um, Laz, uh, who is Nathan's cover and is also doing some smaller roles in it, is gorgeous voice, beautiful person. Just so nice to have him in there that I had not met before. Um, Michelle Ford is doing some covering. Alana Spencer. A lot of people that I just hadn't met yet mm-hmm. that... I'm really happy are here, like, and want to be a part of it. And people that I had met, but I hadn't had a chance to work with, or I had met and, you know, wanted to give them an opportunity to do more. And that is something that I think is really important to the diversity and representative perspective, which, again, I'm trying to do better, particularly in regards to race, but Mm -hmm. is not saying... Ooh, well, you're a POC or you're a non, you know, typical person. How about you want to come do this thing? It's as much about giving the opportunity as much as it is what is the story that you want to tell yeah come i i will give you the platform come tell your story that you want to tell towing the line of inclusion versus tokenism is a is tough yeah precisely and Mm -hmm. like and having and again being an administrator and for me it's saying what is the work that i can do or what what do you what does that community want to see up or what are they creating that needs to be here on this stage and how I can provide that precisely and that's difficult for everyone (laughs) like that's super difficult and we are all learning how to do that better but again like having supportive community of people that's willing to do that it's one of the reasons that makes Steve Hobie so valuable plug for him is that he is a great listener and someone that is here for the art and someone that is here for someone that is not him to create that and that's not always what you have to be but also it makes someone invaluable yeah it's there's good people guys like <laughs> i'm just so grateful that all of these people signed on to do something experimental and new and mm-hmm. kind of you know it's your it's your first thing like it's it's again i'm having imposter syndrome right now talking mm-hmm. about it <laughs> like it's new and i don't know that it was gonna be okay but they're all here <laughs> and, they're, and they're doing it um, <laughs> which is great one thing i get the last kind of thing i want to leave with is i'm curious kind of for you undertaking this where do you hope that the bridge between opera and musical theater lives in 50 years that's a great question um i've been thinking a lot too about that and about how like the uh, the like amalgamation of everything may not be a good thing. Like I don't want to see like a flattened out. Everyone's doing you know that mix bridge work. I I don't want to see that. I don't want to see. I don't want to like bring opera down and bring theater up and like do that kind of thing. That's that's not the point. I I want to see something else. I want to see another option. Mm. And if that other option is crossover music or crossover performances or just a retelling of things that is not the museum standard um, gold, gold, globe theater, like authentic performance. Mm-hmm. And that is not experimental composed by Moody, the cat on the piano strings kind of stuff, you Been know, like, <laughs> right, which is cool, which is again, has its place. Right. But like, I want to see something in between. I want to see something that can be both or one of the other like if i had my druthers i would do like i would do like rent and bohem together in a mashup i would see what that did i would do like west side story in a carmina barana style with like the dancers the actors and like the orchestra and do like layers of that like and just see what we can do with these pieces that make them interest they're already interesting they're already good works of art it's why we love them but i want to see what else is there for that and how we can make these not museum pieces and how some of this repertoire can be artistically fulfilling without being a a 
capitalist cash cow kind of thing. That's a crazy phrase to say, but you know, like, and not be the touring sweet charity, whatever. Like, I want to see what that does and give singers the opportunity to do that. And honestly, to see an artistic world and God help us a world at large that sees all these things as normalized where a story like carousel is crazy because billy's kind of an awful dude and like that christianity isn't his saving grace but that maybe something else is or a world in which adelaide as a male performer is probably pretty more realistic than adelaide as adelaide (laughs) like and where these things are norms we want to create that new norm for people and i know it's a big goal but it's important and if anybody can do it artists can people that are trained to make these things compelling to everybody else i think that that's the important part (laughs) no that's great um on that note uh the last thing we do with all of our guests is a one minute plug for anything they have upcoming sometimes it's very obvious like letting folks know about performance dates that are upcoming um otherwise we love hearing shout outs to other folks that are doing dope work or any media that you're consuming self-care otherwise music tv shows movies stuff like that yeah, obviously, Janice's performances are this weekend and next weekend. Um, it is Saturday and Sunday, and we're very, very graciously hosted by the church that I sing at, St. Benedict's, um, who has been really for this mission and really for this concert. So they're hosting us at Kittler Hall, um, like I said, Saturday and Sunday night, both the 15th and 16th and the following weekend. These are brilliant performers, guys. Um, really great people and really cool storytelling, and it's just good music. Um yeah, great stuff is happening. Um, obviously, Moran and Dan are doing amazing things with Scoppy, so do keep listening. It's awesome. Oh. <laughs> it's true. So it's true. Oh. And I'm looking forward to another 24-hour concert at some point. We're, uh, we're shooting for February. Heck yeah. And we're, we're going to do it great. hopefully in a, in, a, in a, not hopefully, but we're, we're um, collaborating with someone cool, hopefully. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, so new people, that. new collaborations. Like, treat yourselves in your art and other artists well there's so much to be said for just being a kind person that takes a minute to say how are you and actually want to know the answer Mm -hmm. and that's a thing like do that for each other do that for yourself that was so talking about like being a a woman in charge and like getting to be nice like i like I so enjoyed like being supportive during the 24 It was so hours. great. <laughs> it was yeah. so like I felt like I liked that people were coming to me and like asking me questions and mm-hmm. and like that I was able to give them like good answers and like trying to find rehearsal spaces for people in the building and like it was just I don't know. It was like I left feeling very fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I honestly feel like that every day. I don't I'm not at every rehearsal, but even being there and being able to say like do you need something? Like, if you are you just feeling off today, or do you need somebody to tell you you can do this? Mm-hmm. I will be that person, like, because mm-hmm. I know you can. Like, you wouldn't be here even trying to do something as crazy as be an artist, because it is, um, if you couldn't. And that's, I mean, that's that is a cool part about being able to be a woman in charge, like, yeah. and to not have to be that HBIC, even though you sometimes do, but being able to be that really heart driven and also intelligent and capable and managing all of that together that's that's hard (laughs) and it's valuable though it's very valuable yeah thank you guys thank you yeah Yeah. and thank you all so much for listening i've been daniel johansson i continue to be maureen smith if you want to keep up with what we are up to there are so many ways you can do that the first is to head over to scottbmag.com that's our website uh we also have a facebook page called oh we post all of our podcasts and articles there and videos as well um if you want to find see more of our videos do check out our youtube channel we have a youtube channel under scopy magazine um it's great uh we we do a lot of different stuff uh mini docs um we're doing a series on socialism in the midwest and we also uh did a 24-hour concert documentary so if you wanted to see more about that you can see that there too um we also have a Facebook page, Scopy Magazine. We also have a Facebook group that we love and adore called Sonny Board. We talk a lot about local arts, local politics, astrology, just all kinds of shit. Um, we're also on Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr under Scopy Mag. Uh, and we, the podcast, the one that you're listening to right now, Scopy Radio, is in most podcast places, including iTunes, Google Play, and Radio Public under Scopy Magazine. I mean, Scopy Radio. Sorry, Scopy Radio. <laughs>
And I'm here to talk about the importance of subscribing. If you head to our website, scopymag.com, and go to our subscribe page, there are a couple ways that you can do that. The first is to sign up for email blasts. This is huge because even though we post across social media platforms, Facebook buries our content. What's up? You're good. Okay. You looked worried. <laughs> Where, yeah, no, go ahead. Okay. Um, Facebook buries our content. Um, so if you want to see 100% of what we're posting and not just 30% of it, you should sign up for those email blasts. The second thing you can do is you can become a member. For as little as $5 a month, you can help us do fun things like keep our lights on and pay our artists. Uh, there are cool incentives associated with membership. So if you are in a position to do so, I encourage you to do it. Um, also, we have an Indiegogo campaign going on right now. Uh, we are trying to upgrade our audio and video equipment. And speaking of which, I have a shout out. I actually, I have two shout outs. The first one wished to remain anonymous, but I just want to give a shout out to that anonymous person. You are brilliant. I'm so glad to have met you. Thank you so much for your contribution. The other uh, contribution is from Chelsea Gilbranson from pretty funny mm -hmm. who's she also is, written for scopy too yeah and she's amazing i'm so appreciative she's of your contribution she's such a good Kind. she's such a good such a good so thank you so much chelsea i so we so 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 appreciate it so give a little give a lot and if you can't give then listen participate and share cool thanks again so much for listening go out and make something yep <laughs>